Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How good it is to be with you. Um, I have a magnificent announcement to make to all of you who are praying for our new property. We were able to close on the property. I'm flying high. I'm so, so, so thrilled. It is now ours. And for those of you who... um, didn't uh, know what was happening. Uh, I had I did an interview with John Henry Weston on LifeSite News, and they did a fundraiser for us, uh, a life funder, and that helped us enormously, enormously, uh, along with uh, many others who sent uh, donations to us directly. Some who had not even seen the life funder, um, and um, we had. Two miracles in that process, uh, one financial and one uh, that was not financial, and both miracles. And we're, we just can't be more grateful than we are. Um, again, for those of you who did not see the interview with John Henry Weston on LifeSite News, um, uh, we found property, and, and I... I introduced the subject by saying that we have been hoping and planning uh, actually to design a monastery and it would have taken several million dollars and a few years to build. And I can't, I couldn't go with it because the world is dying. As you know, evil is blanketing us, uh, the whole world, and uh, what's going on in the church is worse than what's going on in the world because it is the church. And so we just want to put our arms around the world and help with the restoration of God's design for the family and uh, bring the gospel to every single creature. So there's no time to build a big monastery and to raise all those millions. So we found 86 acres of land um, for 1.4 million. We initially cut it down to 50 at 1.2 million, but we were able to get the whole thing at 1.4. Just God's miracle. Um, And the reason we wanted it is because it was an event center uh, here in the Diocese of Tyler. um, And it has two huge structures. One of them was their lodge and it'll hold 30 sisters. It's only half built and we can, we'll build the other half, but we can hold 30 sisters and, um, and the other building has a huge commercial kitchen and everything we need for a chat to, we have to build the chapel in it, but, um, so much. So, um, if you say, well, I was going to donate, but now you've got it, I won't, uh, I would, I would ask you to not stop because we're going to need a lot to do some construction within those two uh, buildings, but uh, we have it. it. It's truly the providence of God. And I've mentioned before that all I need to know is that we're in God's will and I can fly. 
if, if I had $100 million and did not know I was in God's will, it would mean nothing to me. But to know we're in God's will means everything. I desire nothing else. And so God really performed two wonderful miracles for us uh, that affirmed that we were in his will. And we are so, so happy, beloved. Uh, we're going to be moving uh, in a couple of weeks. We're packing up and uh, we'll be moving in a couple of weeks. We're going to hope to get an army out here on Saturday, July 15th and um, and move everything we have to the new property. So um, blessed be God forever. Blessed be God forever. And thank you for all of you who, who gave, who helped, and certainly who prayed. Um, we'll be sending a second thank you letter. I think the Life Funder automatically uh, gave a thank you. And if you uh, 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 donated directly to us through motherofisraelshope.org, um, you would have gotten a thank you as well. But those are form thank you letters, and we want to yet thank everybody personally, and we will. It'll take a little bit of time. But um, I, there were um, too many, um, hundreds of people donated. Hundreds of people donated. Um, it, I think it's, oh, it's certainly over a thousand. So that's that's how we do it as debbie would say that's the way to do it um it it's because one person donated one dollar and another uh over a hundred thousand just fantastic so i'm i'm a happy camper and we're very very thrilled i'm coming you to, to you today not by video but by audio um once we're in the new property We'll be able to restore video every day. We'll have good internet. And um, it, it's just going to be so, so thrilling. I might uh, maybe take a tour of the property uh, by my phone so you could see it. <laughs> um, so thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts, dear ones. Thank you. Last week, we began um, on, uh, we're on the Ten Commandments. And the sixth chapter is on his divine providence. And I did half hour, and then we had to switch to a full hour encore because I couldn't keep my eyes open. I kept falling asleep. So I'm awake, and <laughs> um, and I'm going to start from the beginning of that divine providence chapter because I think most of you were not able to hear it, and it's so good. Reverend Sparago says, and this is from the Catechism Explained. We call by the name of divine providence God's preservation and government of the world. God maintains the world, that is, he preserves all creatures in existence as long as he wills. And every time I read a sentence, dear ones, I'm, I'm just so happy. I want him to preserve me till I'm 500 years old or as long as there's one soul on the earth who doesn't know our beloved Lord and his church. I, I want to be around because when we go to heaven, it's the beginning of forever. I'm not in a hurry. I'm in a hurry that people know who Christ is. And the enemy is working 24-7. Uh, and if there were more hours in a week, he would fill them uh, to, destroy, uh, to destroy the family. I read just yesterday about the drag queens, uh, not only with the Dodgers game, but all that they're doing. And their message is, we are coming for your children, quote, unquote. We are coming for your children. Beloved, um, 
you have been giving your children. I know I'm supposed to be reading Divine Providence, but it's so on my heart. You have children as a stewardship of God. They're his children, and he's given them to you to raise for the kingdom. And I know there are homeschooling families that still allow the world to come into their home. The young children have cell phones, which they shouldn't have. They're on the internet unsupervised, which they should not be. Uh, they can watch anything they want on television. They can dress immodestly like the world. They have friends who persuade them otherwise from their faith. Um, so homeschooling is not enough if you let the world into your home. And so you need to raise your children as strong, strong Catholic children that, that when they go out into the world, they can be truly in the world and not of it. And they cannot be in the world and not of it. If you parents are in the world and of it, if you dress like the world, if you talk like the world, if you see films and TV like the world, um, everything we say, everything we do should lead us to Christ. Our sisters here in our community, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, um, I, I teach them that their speech, when they're having conversations, and I'm not around, I don't have to be around, I'm not around most of the time, um, that everybody's doing work that they need to do, but um, that their conversations are simply to lead one another to Christ, to lift their hearts to Christ. They're Christians, of course, they're Catholics, but to lead their hearts, one another's hearts to Christ. And if they talk about other things, um, uh, I will eventually hear about it and change that. Um, I'm not a dictator, but I'm a mother who wants her daughters to be raised for the kingdom. And we cannot help others to the kingdom if we don't help one another to the kingdom. We can't love the world if we don't love one another in the home. That's true of us as a religious community, and it is true of you, dear parents, at home. Monitor what happens. Um, keep worldly speech out of your home, worldly games. If your children have, um, uh, I don't know, video games, uh, they shouldn't have video games. They should not have video games, even if they're good. They should not have video games. They should be reading books, uh, and they should be learning to read and write, not watching TV at all. You, mothers, shouldn't we watch any TV? I wouldn't. I'd throw the TV out. Uh, aren't there good programs? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. But um, it, they need to be reading and they need to be writing, and they need to learn how to communicate and get along and uh, love the world of their home. Um, I, I recommend that everyone, we don't have a TV here in our religious community. Um, we, have, we do have a TV screen for videos, I, that's okay, but we control everything that's on. There's no commercials, um, and we're adults. And we control that. So you certainly need to control it for your children. And don't let them see any movie in the theater unless you've seen it first and okay it. Um, okay, dear ones, there's the music for our first break. I promise you I'll get back to the article on Divine Providence when we come back. And after the second break, we'll take your calls and your emails. 
prayer to the Sacred Heart that St. Gertrude the Great wrote. I salute thee, O Sacred Heart of Jesus, living and vivifying source of eternal life, infinite treasure of the divinity, ardent furnace of divine love. Thou art the place of my repose and my refuge. Enkindle in my heart the fire of that ardent love with which thine own is inflamed. Pour into my heart the great graces of which thine is the source, and grant that my heart may be so closely united to thine, that thy will may be mine, and that my will may be eternally conformed to thine, since I desire that henceforth thy holy will may be the rule of all my desires and all my actions. Amen. of the cross we proudly bring the truths of the catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices and we're grateful for the feedback we've received i grew up catholic church haven't been in the catholic church for decades but i'm in the process of working my way back for the simple reason that i needed a place to listen to pro-life pro-family messages catholic radio is it it's a place to hear that message without all the political bias and all that that's going on on news talk radio it changed my life it's the only station i turn on the Catholic station is an answer to prayer. It, it couldn't be more fulfilling. It's helped me learn more about the faith, and it's helped me to deepen my faith as a result of that. It's on continuously in my house, day and night. You can't imagine how much I receive from that channel. If you've been blessed by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, I'm going to go back to uh, God's divine providence from uh, the Catechism Explained. And the first point, uh, as we just said before the break, is that God maintains the world. He preserves all creatures in existence as long as he wills. And that statement started me off on my little tirade of living 500 years and all of that. <clears throat> Bourbon Sparago says, a ball hanging from a piece of string falls to the ground as soon as the string is cut. So the whole world would sink into nothing if God were to withdraw from it his supporting power for a single instant. In order that creatures may continue to exist, he provides all that, all that is needed for their sustenance. Wheat, vegetables, various fruits of the earth, etc. As soon as God wills it, they die. The psalmist said, when thou shalt take away their breath, they shall die and return again to the dust, end quote. If the sun were to cease to cast its rays, if the sun were to cease to cast its rays upon the earth, all light would disappear from the world. So if God ceased to support us in existence, our life at once fails us. When our Lord says, heaven and earth shall pass away, he does not mean that they will be annihilated, 
<clears throat> but they, that they will be changed into a better. St. Peter says in Second Peter, we look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth justice. <clears throat> Second, God governs the world. He conducts all things in the world so that they contribute to his glory and to our advantage. What the engine is to the train and the pilot to the vessel, God is to the world. He guides the stars according to fixed laws so that the firmament proclaims his glory. He guides all nations. And all of this, that's Daniel chapter 4. All of this is in scripture, beloved. We see his guiding hand in the lives of the patriarchs, in the history of the Jews, in that of the Christian church. Yet we cannot understand God's arrangements at the first glance. Often, we cannot understand them at all, and never shall till we get to heaven. Yet in our own lives, we can trace again and again the good providence of God. But as to the world, generally, we are forced to exclaim, as Paul did uh, to the Romans, how incomprehensible are God's judgments and how unsearchable his ways. We are dancing here in Tyler, Texas, because we say that how incomparable are incomprehensible are God's judgments and how unsearchable his ways in allowing us to close on this new property. We're so thrilled. Reverend Sparago says, there is no one on the earth for whom God does not care and provide for his welfare. A mother would sooner forget her child, says Isaiah, than God would forget us. And um, God cares, our Lord said in Matthew, God cares even for the irrational creatures, for the beasts and birds and plants. God has a special care for those who are in humble circumstances and are despised by the world. <clears throat> God has made small as well as great and cares equally for them. God loves to declare his glory by means of the little. He chose poor shepherds to receive the first news of the birth of Christ. He chose poor fishermen for his apostles, a poor maiden for his mother. It is to the humble that he gives his grace. J um, Proverbs Psalm says again, the psalmist wrote, he raises the needy from the earth and takes the poor from the dunghill that he may place him among princes. Nothing, beloved, nothing happens to us all through our lives without the will or the permission of God. You know, I'm going to stop here and just comment. I've said that for years. I've said it on the air many, many times. Nothing touches us that God doesn't allow. He doesn't cause it all, but he permits it. And if he permits it, he has a plan for it. And now I'm reading it in, in um, Reverend Sparago. I'm so happy to read this. Nothing happens to us all through our lives without the will or the permission of God. Hence, and, and that's, I, I'm saying, I'm just, I'm just ecstatic this morning. That's what makes us so happy about the new property. Over a thousand people contributed to that. And, um, and I'm ecstatic because if it weren't the will of God, it wouldn't have happened. That's all we have prayed for is God's will. And we're so, so thrilled. Hence, the patriarch Joseph says to his brethren in Genesis, not by your counsel was I sent hither, but by the will of God. 
<clears throat> our Lord says that the very hairs of our head are all numbered. That is, the providence of God descends to the smallest details of our life. Hence, there is nothing that happens by chance. There are indeed many things, the causes of which we are ignorant, but all have some cause, and God guides all. There are many things in the world that God does not will, and of which he is not the cause, such as murder, theft, and every crime, but God permits them. That is, he does not prevent them. This is a consequence of his having given to man free will. I guess that's another aspect for our understanding. God doesn't permit everything, but he permits it by not preventing them. God, moreover, God knows how to bring good out of evil, and all evil he employs for his good purpose. Even the evil that God permits is for our good. God, in his love for us, has in all that happens to us the intention to make us happy. He turns to our good all temporal misfortunes, the temptations of the devil, the sins of other men, the scripture says to those who love God, all things work together for good, Romans 8.28. We see this in the history of the patriarch Joseph, but I'm going to interrupt to tell a little story of um, missionaries who were captured um, by the Japanese during the war. And they were separated in two boats, uh, taken captive and separated in two boats going in different directions, taken in different directions. And one of the missionaries shouted, well, it was still in shouting distance to the other boat, Romans 8.28. It's such a comfort. Romans 8.28. And the people in the other boat knew what that said. God works all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And then Father Sparago says, we see this in the history of the patriarch Joseph. His imprisonment was the means of bringing him to high honor and of saving Egypt from the horrors of famine. The captivity of the Jews was the means of spreading the knowledge of the true God among the heathen nations. You know, every week we read the Divine Office, and I think it's Wednesday of every week. It's Tuesday or Wednesday, I, I, I think Wednesday. Um, where um, where the uh, the psalm is repeated of the Jews who the captive uh, uh, in who were taken captive in Babylon, um, and they say, "How could we sing? Uh, how could we sing a song uh, of our hearts, a song to God in a foreign land? If I forget the Jerusalem, let my tongue wither." It, it's heartbreaking to me personally, coming from the Jewish people. But you see, there, still, they were in a foreign land, taken captive because of their unbelief and disobedience, and yet taken captive to spread, spread the knowledge of God. The persecution of the early Christians in Palestine and in Rome was the means of making known the gospel in the countries to which they fled or were banished so too was the expulsion of the religious orders from Italy and France and Germany in modern times 
and we have in more modern times than Father Spirago. Um, we, um, we have Christians being ex ex uh, ex expelled, persecuted all over the place and religious orders um, uh, being shut down. So it's, it's, it's really still ongoing. The persecution of the Irish has done much to Christianize America and England. When I first was looking, beloved, into um, beginning this religious community, I read the story of the Irish nuns who came from, from Ireland to evangelize the U.S. against every hardship. Um, they, they established hospitals and schools across the country. They were, uh, it, it actually it was many orders, but above all the Sisters of Mercy. The Sisters of Mercy did that throughout our country. They fought against bishops who didn't want it. They fought against everything, but they saved souls and they opened schools and hospitals and bandaged soldiers from both sides of the army. Uh, they were walking all over. There was no transportation like we have today. They became known as the Walking Sisters. Uh, those Sisters of Mercy, we owe them so much. And I, my heart cries for what has become of them today. My heart cries uh, for what has become of them. Uh, it, it's so heartbreaking because they bought into... Uh, <clears throat> The modern world and have been all but destroyed. <clears throat> uh, Reverend Sparago says again the persecution of the Irish has done much to Christianize America and England. The unbelief of Saint Thomas, says Saint Augustine, has been more useful to us than the belief of the other apostles. The sin of Peter made him humble and forbearing towards others. The fury of the Jews against our Lord was the instrument of the redemption of mankind. How inscrutable are God's judgment and how unsearchable his ways. The very means employed by wicked men against the saints were the means of bringing them glory and honor. I may have um, caused some uh, upset or um, uh, curiosity or questions. Curiosity is not good, not a virtue, but questions about the the Sisters of Mercy. So I'll say this, it's, I've read it, it's history, it's uh, not so far past. Their average age is 68 years old. They have no new vocations. They've abandoned their habits and um, they own convents and houses and land, millions and millions and millions of dollars all over the world. But they are dying out. And when I was in Ireland, I met a group of them who were in suits um, and one of them said we really that was our downfall getting rid of the habit so I my heart aches for them they've done such good and uh, I'm here because of the work that they they paved the way so I'm, I'm grateful for them um, and I wish somehow they would return to the habit if they did they would become alive again and have new vocations there's the music for our second break, beloved. We'll be back to take your calls and your emails the whole second hour. Call in toll-free if you wish, 
877-511-5483. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for June 26th. Today we celebrate Blessed Raymond Lull. After working all his life to promote the missions, Raymond died a missionary to North Africa. Born on the island of Mallorca, Raymond grew up in a mixed Christian-Muslim society. This inspired him to work for the conversion of the Muslims in North Africa, abandoning a life of luxury and self-indulgence. Raymond spent nine years as a hermit, pursuing the studies that would help him in his missionary work. He became a secular Franciscan and founded a college where missionaries could learn the Arabic language they would need in the missions. By the time he was ready to begin his mission work, Raymond was ill. He had to be carried on board the ship headed for Tunis. His health improved, but the local Muslim authorities did not welcome him. Initially imprisoned, later he was deported. Raymond returned to Africa twice more. On his final trip, he was stoned by an angry mob and left for dead. He died aboard the ship that was taking him back to Mallorca in 1315. Raymond failed to convert any Muslims, but he left behind many examples of heroism and written works in all branches of knowledge. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. It's not as scary as I thought it was. It's a much more warm and open place, and God really is about love. It's not about the rules and the things that I remember as a young child. It really is about the love that God has for each one of us that's so um, deep and wonderful. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live and I'm thrilled to be with you. Um, and if you weren't here at the opening of our program, I announced that we have been able to close on the property. Over a thousand people contributed, and um, we just couldn't be happier. Uh, it's just so beautiful. And um, um, and I mentioned we had a couple of miracles, one financial and one other. Um, and, and the best thing about those is that God... Um, has uh, shown us that it's his will. If I had a million, if I owned the whole world with billions of dollars, I wouldn't be happy if I did not know I was in God's will. If we have nothing, but we know we're in God's will, that is our peace. So I'm so thrilled. And I thank you and ask God to bless every one of you who contributed to that. We'll be updating you I'm going to try to write a newsletter and get it out. Our last newsletter was at Christmas, um, but I'll try to get a newsletter out with with all the news we have, beautiful news we have. So um, I'm just so happy. There's no way to thank you enough, certainly not this side of heaven. Um, 
Before we take your specific emails or and calls, you're welcome, as you know, as always, to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Our dear James, uh, my producer, who is so wonderful, um, wrote me a note and he said, there seems to have been some confusion about my statement that receiving communion in the hand is a sacrilege. Can you please explain this again for those who may not understand or may disagree with the point that you're trying to make. Absolutely. I thank you, James. And I know many people are upset about that since our generation mostly has grown up under the Novus Ordo, uh, that is the new order of mass following Vatican II, and they've not been taught anything else. Um, So how could it be a sacrilege? First of all, I looked up uh, the definition of sacrilege, and one definition says It is the violation or injurious treatment of a sacred object. And we're talking about the host, which is God himself. Um, The sacred object, site, or person. And in this case, it's a person. The host is a person. This can take the form of irreverence to sacred persons, places, and things. When the sacrilegious offense, when the sacrilegious offense is verbal, it is called blasphemy and when physical it is called desecration now um let me go to um an article that i brought up that because many people say um you know mother uh, the early church had communion in the hand and you're right you're right but not the way we have it today i i repeat What we have today is sacrilegious, and I'll explain why. Um, This is an article by Joseph Shaw, um, and it's on uh, catholic.com. And um, he says, a perennial uh, source of debate, and occasionally of conflict, is the way we receive Holy Communion. In this article, Joseph says, I would like to examine one of the sources often cited in this debate and place the issue into some historical context. <clears throat> and he writes this up until the, and, and there's many articles that affirm this. I just picked this particular article. We could pick others up until the time of the second Vatican council, lay Catholics received Holy communion under the species of bread alone, kneeling and on the tongue. They had done so for many centuries. And of course, bread, which was transubstantiated into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Reception on the tongue was mandated by a local council at Rouen in 878. And St. Thomas Aquinas explains that only the consecrated fingers of a priest should touch the host. It's in his Summa Theologica. And I've said that not by my authority, but by the authority of priests and cardinals and St. Thomas Aquinas and others. Only Bishop Athanasius Snyder has said this numerous times. um, Only the consecrated fingers of a priest should touch the host. In the East, leavened bread is consecrated. We have unleavened bread. In the East, leavened bread is consecrated and soaked in the precious blood, and Holy Communion is distributed directly into the mouth 
with a spoon. The details of earlier liturgical practice, that is to say, what Catholics did in the early centuries of the church, can be difficult to pin down. In the fourth century, <clears throat> St. Cyril of Jerusalem described the practice of his own time and place in a famous uh, passage. It's um, mystagogic. I'm sorry to mispronounce this, mystagogike catechesis. Um, coming up, quote, coming up to receive. Now, this is how communion in the hand, when it was received in the hand, is to be done. It is no different today, beloved. Coming up to receive, he says, therefore, do not approach with your wrists extended or your fingers splayed, kind of spread out. But making your left hip for the right, for it is about to receive a king, and cupping your palm, so receive the body of Christ and answer, Amen. Now listen, <clears throat> picture this as you're listening to me. Make your, um, your left hand a throne for the right, for it is about to receive a king, and cupping your palm. So, in other words, your left hand is the throne. It's about to receive a king. You put your right hand on the throne because your right hand contains God, contains the host. And that's how you approach. Carefully hollow your eyes by the touch of the sacred body. In other words, just a slight bow because you're looking at God in the form of bread. And then partake, taking care to lose no part of it. Now, picture that. You have your left hand and your right hand over your left hand. Both hands, fingers closed and cupped, slightly in the form of a cup. And the host is placed in your right hand. You have to bend down, or that's the way they did it then, and receive the host with your mouth, not with your fingers of your left hand, but with your mouth, taking up the host and making sure uh, to, with your tongue to take any particles left on your hand. Today, beloved, if you watch how people receive communion, they put their right hand under and their left hand above. The host is put in their left hand, then they take their right hand under, take the host from your hand and put it in their mouth. That is sacrilege, complete sacrilege. You don't, while the throne, while the, the, the king is on the throne, you don't take the throne away. No, um, you take communion with your mouth in your hand. <clears throat> if you refuse to take it by the priest's hands, which are consecrated, then you take the host by your mouth on your hand. And in some cases, they would put linen. When you made that, uh, the throne and the, for the king and the hand, they would put linen over your hand and they put the post the host on your on the linen, and you would take him with your mouth from the linen. Um, Saint Cyril of Jerusalem said, "Carefully hollow your eyes." In other words, by the touch of the sacred body, you're making a slight bow because you've received God in your hand, and then partake. Listen, 
taking care to lose no part of it. Such a loss would be like a mutilation of your own body. Why, if you had been given gold dust, would you not take the utmost care to hold it fast, not letting a grain slip through your fingers, lest you be by so much the poorer? How much more carefully, then, will you guard against losing so much as a crumb of that which is more precious than gold and precious stones? See, beloved, that uh, comes against every bit of commune in the hand today because only the fingers of a consecrated priest should touch that sacred host. And if you allow the priest, if you, if you make a throne for your hand and, you, and, the pre, and the host is put in your right hand, you don't touch it, but you receive it. You bring it up to your mouth and you receive the host and make sure there's no particles. I've, picking up, I've picked up lots of particles of the host uh, from the floor. They're all over the place. We walk on Christ in the Novus Ordo, and very, very few use a patent, and when they do, the, the altar boys are not trained to use it properly. Um, Joseph Chaw says, this is the passion. This passage is often cited to support the modern practice of receiving Holy Communion in the hand, with adherents insisting that Cyril's testimony roots the practice in antiquity, and thus even makes it more respectable than communion on the tongue. But Cyril's description differs from the way Holy Communion is received in the hand today. Today, those who receive in the hand, this is Dr. Shaw speaking, those who receive in the hand have the right hand under the left. The priest puts the host in the communicant's left hand, and the communicant with his right hand transferred the host from his left hand to his mouth. In the practice described by Cyril, the host is placed directly into the right hand, which is lifted up to the mouth. There is no picking up the host with his fingers, nor is there the curious practice, as St. Cyril notes, of the communicant touching his eyes with the host. And so, all in all, there are notable differences between the ancient practice and the modern one. The purpose here is not to express an opinion on whether the modern practice of receiving communion in the hand is acceptable, or even whether the practice does indeed have its origin in whatever form in the early church. Rather, the point is to show that anyone who wants to establish an ancient pedigree for communion in the hand will have to make his case elsewhere from St. Cyril of Jerusalem, whose exhortation on how to receive the Blessed Sacrament differs significantly from how the faithful receive today and shows no evidence that the practice he describes has widespread, uh, was widespread even in his time. Joseph Shaw continues, in the 1969 instruction, Memoriali Domini, the Holy See offered the bishops of the world permission to distribute communion in the hand if requested by a two-thirds majority of each bishop's conference. And yet the instruction states, quote, the traditional method of distributing Holy Communion must be retained, taking the present situation of the church 
in the entire world into account, not merely because it has many centuries of tradition behind it, but especially because it expresses the faithful's reverence for the Eucharist. The custom does not detract in any way from the personal dignity of those who approach this great sacrament. It is part of that preparation that is needed for the most fruitful, fruitful reception of the body of, of the Lord. We'll continue this, beloved, when we come back. We're almost through this article, and I won't read other articles. You can find them on the internet. But again, the ancient practice of distributing communion on the hand must be practiced, and I just read it by St. Cyril of Jerusalem. The left hand as a throne, the right hand over that, not extending the wrists, but cupping them and picking up the host with your mouth. We'll be right back after the break, beloved. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Atheistic scientists claim we don't need God to explain the universe because science is sufficient to get the job done. But is this true? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Science could never negate the need for God because it can't give an exhaustive explanation of the universe. First, it relies on the inductive method in order to validate its hypotheses. As such, scientists can never be certain they've discovered every piece of data necessary to give a complete explanation. They must always be open to discovering something new that could alter their current theory. Furthermore, science presupposes an existing universe to observe and explain. Thus, it could never explain why the universe exists in the first place rather than not. Science has explanatory power, but not enough power to negate the need for God. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That verse shattered me. I stopped everyone on the street, Jim. I said, excuse me, you know there's a God. You know you can know him. I wanted a ladder tall enough to reach the moon to tell the world that there's a Savior. That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, dear family. Um, this is our last segment. We have 10 minutes. I'm going to continue. I want to complete uh, Dr. Joseph Shaw's article on reception of communion in the hand. But we do have a call from Brianne from Wisconsin. Um, Brianne, are you on the line, dear one? 
I am. Good morning, Mother. Good morning, dear. Go ahead with your question. Well, Mother, my question is, in light of what was brought about on, I believe it was Saturday, about the news of Bishop Strickland getting visited from Vatican officials, Right. Um, if the possibility something were to happen and he may be removed from his position, Mother, how does this affect your community and your reception of final vows, which was supposed to happen in September? Well, Brienne, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, what I understand of the visitation um, is that it was more administrative that he, they didn't come to chastise him for his outspokenness, although I'm not privy to that conversation. But um, it's been reported that uh, on the news that it was uh, had to do more with administrative issues and the diocese administratively is perfect, finances, everything perfect. Um, but there were some questions, and so I was, uh, um, from everything I read, uh, and was told it was more administratively based. Uh, if there were other things or warnings, I don't know them at this point. I also don't know, Brianne, how it, it would affect our community. Um, we're never planning to move again. Um, if Bishop Strickland moves, we'd always wish to be with him, um, but we'd have to discern at that time. I wouldn't simply pick up and move because he's moving, I think it would be mostly determined uh, by a new bishop who comes in. That that's what would determine it. So um, so we'll see. Um, and that's how we were put out of of Tulsa. The bishop Slattery uh, brought us in, and the new bishop put us out. So uh, I, that's why I haven't had my final vows yet. It's it's crazy that people say, "You mother, you haven't had no." because uh, they've been denied uh, three times. Oh, when I said cancel that, Brianne, you gave me the opportunity to clarify this. When I said they've been either postponed or canceled, um, they were, they were, I never had them. I, 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 you know, I know what I'm saying when I say it, but I didn't explain how it could be taken. They were canceled because they were scheduled to happen at a cathedral. And when the new bishop came in, he canceled that. Uh, so they never happened. So it's not that I had vows that were canceled. I never had them. And so I'm, I'm many, 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 many years late. But again, we spoke of God's providence and he loves his providence. I've, I've always been in temporary vows, um, which have been renewed. So this will be uh, kind of historic for us uh, that it'll be final vows on September 8th. And I will send uh, the next newsletter we write um, which will be the first one since Christmas, Brianne. I'll put all the information on that because we won't be able to send out invitations. We can't, we don't have the time or the people for that. But I'll just say everybody will be invited. It'll be at the cathedral here in Tyler and everybody who wishes to come uh, can be invited. It seats quite a few. So um, is that okay, Brianne? Yes, that is. Thank you, Mother. Okay, well, you've helped a lot of people that are asking the same question. So God bless you, dear one. Thank okay. you, Mother. Thank you, sweetheart. Okay, now we're going to go back for the time we have left. I want to complete this article um, by Dr. Joseph Shaw on communion in the hand. The document um, for, for, and again, this was at Vatican II that said, if a two-thirds majority want communion in the hand, 
they can do it. The bishop can do it. But the original, the traditional method of distributing Holy Communion must be retained. And again, it is uh, the left hand is the throne, the right hand goes over it, both hands tightly cupped, and the communion, the host placed in your right hand, lift it to your mouth, and you take our God with your mouth. That is the traditional way. And that is the instruction from Vatican II. And Dr. Shaw says, this document foresaw two particular dangers with the novel practice, that it would suggest that there was some wavering on the part of the church in its faith in the Eucharistic presence and a danger or even suggestion of profanation. Surveys inform us that belief in the real presence has the in the real presence has declined. No doubt the causes for this are complex, but it is indisputably that profanation, that is the host being profaned, has become easier with the reception of Holy Communion in the hand, since communicants can deliberately or inadvertently take the host away without consuming it. It is true that the modern method of receiving communion in the hand seems more natural than receiving on the tongue and more natural than what St. Cyril prescribes. Indeed, a number of less natural-looking practices mentioned here. And there, in the early centuries of the church, the ritual washing of the hands before and after the reception of Holy Communion, for example, or the fountains for this purpose in front of churches in some places, or communicants kissing the feet of the priest distributing the Eucharist, were not revived in the 1960s when the new practice was introduced. But there is a danger that in adopting a practice that seems most natural, a community might end up with a practice that is more natural because it is more desacralized. It is not necessary, not necessarily ideal, that we consume the bread of angels in the same way as ordinary food. And that is certainly not what St. Cyril is recommending. The pre-Vatican II practice, which was clearly in use for a much longer period of time than either the practice described by St. Cyril or the modern practice or both put together, retains value as a way of emphasizing the special status and value of the Eucharistic presence of our Lord. Pope Benedict XVI insisted on it when distributing Holy Communion in St. Peter's and explained his decision in a book-length interview with Peter Seawall, quote, by requiring communion to be received kneeling and on the tongue, I, that's Pope Benedict XVI, I wanted to give a sign of profound respect and put an exclamation point on the real presence. <clears throat> and just one more paragraph, Dr. Shaw says, as a brief postscript, a most unfortunate development has has been attempted by priests and even some bishops to enforce uniformity in the matter of receiving Holy Communion by refusing it to those who wish to receive on the tongue or by remonstrating them with re, uh, remonstrating with them afterward. Memoriali Domine, that's the Second Vatican Council, forbids pressure on the faithful to conform to the novel practice, as does a later instruction, Redemptionis Sacramentum, quote, it is not licit to deny Holy Communion 
to any of Christ's faithful today on the grounds, for example, that the person wishes to receive the Eucharist kneeling or standing. And each of the faithful always has the right to receive Holy Communion on the tongue at his choice. This is surely a matter in which everyone should be able to tolerate those who hold to the more long-standing practice as an effective sign of the faith we all share. I hope um, all of you have written uh, concerning communion in the hand or the tongue uh, that I say is a sacrilege, it is. If you receive with your left hand and put the host on your right hand, with your left hand as a throne, and bring the host to your mouth and receive with your tongue and make sure there's no particles left on your hand, um, it would not be a sacrilege. But the way it's received today is an absolute sacrilege and is utterly heartbreaking to be in the presence of. We'll speak with you tomorrow, dear ones.